Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So Mark chapter 1, and we'll be reading beginning in verse 16. And the word of the Lord reads, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And then immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. You see, when it comes to reading and understanding the Bible, oftentimes the meaning of the text requires us to dig a little bit because the point of the text isn't really readily apparent when you read it. Or maybe the meaning is a little bit deeper, right, than it first appears. Or or sometimes, you know, when you read the text, it requires a deeper understanding of the context. For instance, Matthew chapter 18, uh, there's a favorite verse of Scripture that many Christians like to quote, and it's actually verse 20, which reads, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And this is a Scripture that people have lifted up over and over again, and they say, well, where two or three people are as Christians, then Jesus is there, right? Or where two or three people are gathered together, then you have church. Or where two or three people are gathered together, when you pray, then Jesus is really listening because he's there, right? And it'll be done in his name. Well, well, the problem is, that's not what Jesus was talking about at all. Um, That is an understanding of the text that takes that verse completely out of its context. You see, the the problem is, is Jesus is always with Christians. If there's one, then Jesus is there. Jesus indwells every Christian. So no matter where you go, Christ goes with you. The kingdom goes with you. Number two, Jesus, what he said here, actually fits into a larger conversation. Actually, that's one sentence in a paragraph of of Jesus' conversation. And Jesus, in this paragraph, is talking about church discipline. What he's, what he's saying is if a member of your church won't repent of their sins, what right, you need to do is talk to them and see if you can restore them. And if they won't listen to you, then what you need to do is take a brother with you or another you know, someone with you and try to restore them. And if they won't listen, right, then you need to bring them to the church. And really, ultimately, what, what, what Jesus is saying is, all right, if you have done these things and you decide that this person can't be in your fellowship, I'm with you. That's what he's saying is in those kinds of decisions that Jesus himself is with the, the, the church when they make those decisions. And the idea is that Jesus himself is giving consent for the church to do his job. That is the context of that text. That's what that text means. And so sometimes when, when we read a text, sometimes we have to dig a little bit deeper to find the meaning. But then there are times when the meaning is just right there on the surface. Like, you know, you don't have to over-spiritualize it. You don't have to overthink it. It's just right there. Like the meaning is apparent, like today's text. Jesus went by a sea, by the Sea of Galilee, and he said to four people, follow me. And what do they do? They followed him, right? He, he says right out front, right? The right out front meaning of this text is to follow Jesus when he calls. Make disciples, right? When Jesus says follow him, then, then you need to follow him. And that's really the nuts and bolts big statement 
right? As Christians, we know that we're to follow Christ, right? That's why we call ourselves Christ followers. We understand that Jesus calls us to go with him, to follow him. And this text is a reinforcement of that, that idea. And so when we read it, right, it, it's, it's really easy for us to just say, okay, that's the application, end of sermon, go and have lunch already. But no, it's not that simple, okay? Um, the, 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 because the reality is, is I want you to kind of think about what does it really mean to follow someone? Jesus says, follow me. But what, is it, what does it mean? Because the, the idea of following somebody, at least today, um, can be kind of a confusing concept. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a set definition of what it means to follow someone. I mean, if you think about following, right, the most common understanding of following somebody today is rooted in the context of social media. Social media has changed everything, by the way, right? And if you were on social media, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, if you're on Instagram, if you're on any one of those, those social media platforms, there's something that, that, that I can say about you. You are following Someone, right? You're following someone, and, the, and some people are following you. If not, then you're really lonely, but that's okay. Um, but, but what does that mean? What, is it, what does it mean to follow somebody on, on social media? Right? I mean, do you really go where they go? Do you do what they do? Well, no. Right? What it means to follow someone on social media, you don't actually have to go anywhere with them. When you follow someone on Twitter, it just all it really means is you just have this electronic connection. That's really the, the gist of it. If you have a social media connection, then you can see the things that they post, and then you can interact with them in conversations, and you might even have some common interests. But, but following someone on, on social media doesn't really mean a whole lot. Right? Because you can even follow people that aren't even your friends. You can follow perfect strangers if you, if you wanted to. You can follow someone who you don't agree with. Like, and, and, and you can follow people that have, that, that have views that are complete opposite of your own. You can even follow somebody on social media just to keep tabs on them like some type of cyber stalker, right? Which is more common than you think. You get, following people on social media only really means that you have some kind of a connection to that person. Now, even though following Jesus means that there is a connection to him, talking, you know, what Jesus is talking about here is actually, you know, something more than that. Now, we also follow people, and we follow things that interest and excite us, like celebrities, or sports teams, or sporting events, right? Some people really like to follow, you know, uh, people that are famous. My son, Carson, he loves to follow the University of Alabama football, right? That's what he loves to follow. He has, you know, if you've seen him, he has his Alabama t-shirt, and he's got his Alabama Crimson Tide shorts, and he's got his Alabama Crimson Tide hat, and he keeps tabs on them every week. In fact, he, he was excited to, to tell me last night. He's like, Dad, come in here. I'm like, what? He goes, Alabama's 10-0, and 0, by the way. Just want you to know, right? right? They're number one. Clemson's number two, but Alabama's number one. Right? And he knows the players. He knows their statistics. He knows what, 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 you know, where they play. I mean, he knows all. In fact, he even knows, like, like which people came from Alabama that play for the pros. Like, he knows. Like, if you, if you say the Saints, he can tell you what Alabama, you know, player, you know, is now playing the pros. That's how he, he's, he's, he's excited about it, right? He follows Alabama football. It's, it's of great interest to him. He's an avid supporter. He's someone who, who cheers for, for the success of that team. Now, following Christ is certainly about having an interest in him, and it's certainly about being an avid supporter of him and his mission, but following Christ is a lot more than that, though 
you wouldn't tell it, couldn't tell it by some, the way some Christians live. Actually, some Christians live more like fans than they do followers. Now, sometimes following people is also a literal thing. Like when you literally physically follow someone. So like you and your friends all decide you're going to go to the same place somewhere in L.A., but you're all taking different cars, and invariably somebody says, hey, I'll just follow you, right? And you do. You literally follow them, and you, you follow them like every little lane change, and every time they turn, and every time they accidentally hit your, their blinker, you do the same thing, and you know they're driving along and start to drift off, and you drift off with them because you're, you're literally following them. And then usually the conversation, if you're following someone, ends up as, man, he's driving way too slow. I mean, he's not going to lose me. Come on. Or, man, he's driving way too fast. I'm about to miss the exit. He's, what's he doing, right? right? We are, there are times that we actually literally follow people. Following people also involves the leadership in your life. We follow leaders in our lives whether we want to or not whether they are elected officials, whether they are teachers or parents or pastors or bosses. No matter who you are, there is somebody that, is, that has some form of leadership in your life. And sometimes we follow, you know, willingly and sometimes begrudgingly. Sometimes we, we, there's a joy to following and then sometimes it is painful and it's frustrating to follow. But, but following a leader is, on some level in all of our lives requires a certain submission to authority. Well, the truth is following Christ is, is much like all of these, right? There's certainly a connection, right? And, and there's certainly a sense of enthusiastic support. And, the, and you're certainly literally going somewhere you know, with Jesus. And then there's this real submission to his authority. But, but it's not, that's not it. That's not all. There's more to it than that. And so here we are. Finally, in the fourth part of our walk through the, the, the book of Mark, titled Following Jesus, and we're going to get down into the nuts and bolts and explore what it really means to follow Christ. Because this is really the crucial point of this entire series. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to go where he's leading? And the first thing I want you to notice, right, is that Jesus tells Andrew and Simon Peter and James and John to follow him, and they immediately, they immediately drop what they're doing and they begin to follow him. They don't hesitate to follow him. They don't wait to follow him. They don't say, hey, give me a minute. Hey, you know, immediately they leave everything behind and they begin to follow him. Now, notice what it says here. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Following Jesus requires an immediate response. Why? What, is, what does it mean for them to have to follow Jesus? What, is, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? Because make no mistake, Jesus has called you to follow him. He expects for you to follow him. See, Jesus didn't just call these four men to follow him. He didn't just call his disciples, you know, those 12 disciples to follow him. He called you to follow him. In fact, what comes after the call to repent and believe is always the call to follow. Jesus didn't just save you so that you could just be who you are. He didn't just save you so you can just sit like there on a bump on a log, you know, saying, I love Jesus, yes I do, I love Jesus, how about you? He didn't save you so you can sit in a pew for the rest of your life. He saved you to follow him, just like his disciples. 
And notice the order here. Jesus begins his ministry by preaching the gospel, the good news, and then he calls people to repent and believe that gospel. Right? And, and then notice the very next call to action right after that is to follow him. The call to follow Jesus naturally follows the next step of repentance and faith. It's the next logical step. Once you're saved, right, you begin to follow where Jesus leads. Now, what does it mean, then, to actually follow Jesus? Well, I'm going to give you a short definition, and then I'm going to give you a long definition. Okay? The short definition, the simple definition is this. Following Jesus is to go where Jesus goes and to go where Jesus leads. That's the simple definition. If you follow where Jesus goes, it's about doing what Jesus does, right? And being like Jesus is in your actions and attitudes, right? And then it's also to go where he leads you. Because the truth is, if you're a Christ follower, if you have been saved, he is leading you somewhere into something. It might be into full-time ministry. It might be a missions trip. It might be for you to start some type of ministry at the church or in your home. It might be where you actually decide that, hey, I'm going to take it upon myself to reach out and take boxes to hungry people in our community. It might be, you know, that you go out and you visit all the shut-ins, or maybe you go out and you evangelize everybody that you can come in contact with and put a tract in their hands. Maybe it's you starting a Bible study at your work. Jesus is calling you to follow him somewhere. If you belong to him, he's leading you to go somewhere. And so following Jesus, the short answer is to go where Jesus goes and go where he leads. Now, in just a bit, we'll, we'll expand this and we'll look at the larger answer and we'll begin to really flesh it out, what it looks like to follow Jesus. But there's something that we need to settle in our hearts first. There's something that we need to, to come to terms with. And it's the truth that Truly, following Jesus is always preceded by repentance and faith. I want to say that again. Following Jesus is always preceded by repentance and faith. You don't just follow Jesus from the beginning and then somehow have a relationship with him without first turning from your sins and turning to him in faith in Christ. You can't follow Jesus You can't really follow him unless you repent and believe the gospel. Now, that should go without saying, but today, (laughs) there's some weird things that are happening because there are pastors and and megachurches in our country today who desperately, so desperately, want to find a way to reach people that they are saying, you don't have to believe in Jesus to follow Jesus. That's exactly literally what they say. You don't have to believe in Jesus to follow Jesus. You don't have to repent, and you don't have to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, that you don't have to believe that the resurrection is true to actually follow Jesus. Right? Because they, they, they say that following Jesus, you just follow him until you believe. Right? That somehow you believe that you can follow him, and then somehow, some way that you will believe. Because, and the reason for that is they simply, what they're doing is they're reducing down to, the, to, to what Jesus does to just nice things, right? What they're doing is taking the Christian faith and saying, well, what following Jesus means is just being nice like Jesus. That, that, be, that following Jesus is being nice to people. That following Jesus is, is showing love and compassion for people. They believe that following Jesus is feeding the hungry and standing up for the marginalized, They would ask the question, what would Jesus do? And they have all kinds of opinions about what that means. Now understand, all of those things are good and important. All of those things are good and important. But hear me. 
Those are the things that are the outworkings of following Jesus. They're the byproducts of following Jesus. They're not at the heart of what it means to follow him. Following Jesus isn't doing good stuff. Okay? Our faith is in a works righteousness business. Following Jesus is about a heart transformation. Because remember, Jesus didn't come to change your behavior. He came to change your heart. But many churches have this confused. They've confused these activities and doing stuff with following Jesus. In fact, some will even, even um, go so far, uh, there are churches that actually invite and allow non-believers to serve in their church. They will, they will allow them to serve in ministries. They will allow them to do works in the name of Jesus. They will allow them to minister to other people, even though they don't believe the truth about the one in whose name that they are actually serving. Because these, these churches believe that if you do things, right, that, that doing stuff is following Jesus Right? And if you do stuff and, and follow Jesus that way, then that makes you like Jesus. And then if you get around a bunch of other people who are, are like Jesus, and you do stuff together, right? then somehow, somehow, these Christians, as they hang out together, will somehow, some way, really come to understand what it means to, to know Christ by osmosis. And then, then somehow, some way, you're, you're saved. It's this, it's this salvation by blessing instead of the salvation by the truth. But that's, that's garbage, It's not what you do that makes you like Christ. It's not your activities that lead you to salvation. As my my good friend and brother in Christ, Terry Vickers, said in our our men's group last week, we we watched a gospel presentation, and he says, you know, I I realize it's, it's about Jesus and him only. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with what I can do. It's about Jesus and repenting and trusting in him, and that's it. You see, Terry at one time believed that he was following Jesus because he was doing stuff, right? That he was, he was coming to church, and he was, you know, he was giving occasionally, and he would get offended when someone would say something nasty about Jesus, and, and he would do stuff around the church, and he, he thought that that made him like Jesus, that he was following Jesus, but then he realized he's not following Jesus because of what he does, He's following Jesus because he's believed the gospel and he's repented. Following Jesus is about who we are in Christ. You cannot follow Christ until you repent and believe. Because following Jesus, I mean, truly following him requires a complete change in who you are. And your life will not be transformed until you repent and believe the gospel. Johnny Wilson last week after the service, came up to me and said, you know, you're right. Before Jesus healed anyone, before he, he did any miracles, right? before he did anything else, before any change happened, he preached the gospel and he called people to repent and believe. Repentance and faith right, always come before what we can do. And he said this is the same for him personally in his own personal life. And it's the same for everyone else's life. Before we can follow Jesus, we must first repent and believe. And we, we need to keep repenting and believing because the truth is, is if, if a person tries to follow Jesus in their own strength without repentance and faith, the best they can do is poorly imitate Christ. It's just simply, as someone said, it's just playing church then. 
It's, it's going through the motions is all you're going to be doing. It's just pretending. It's, it, it's faking it is really, and which, which really, worse, it leads to heresy. In fact, I'd like to tell you about someone who thinks that they're following Christ. I read an article by Doug Mainwaring this week titled, and this is, these are, this is an exact quote, liberal Lutheran pastor says, it's okay to look at porn especially if it's ethically sourced, whatever that means. So Dateline, November 5th, 2018, it says a prominent progressive pastor was said viewing, has said viewing pornography is fine, especially if it's ethically sourced porn. The Reverend, I want you to hear this name, Reverend Nadia Bolz-Weber of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America leads a congregation composed of mainly LGBT members and which features a minister of fabulousness. I have no idea what that is. Okay, But this is according to a gay news website, and that website recently released a lengthy interview with a female pastor in which she shared some of her pro-LGBT and pro-pornography opinions. And the article goes on to say, she says, I refuse to pick the low-hanging moral outrage fruit of liberals and conservatives about porn, said this pastor. Pastor. Now, there are some issues of injustice and exploitation within the porn industry, no question, but it doesn't mean consumption of pornography should be shamed. Now, this woman further states that we should re-examine and even change many of the church's teachings on such Thanks. Now, this is a person who honestly thinks that they are following Christ. Let me be clear about this, okay? This pastor is not a Christian. She is not a Christian. She is not a believer. She thinks that she's following Jesus, but she needs to repent and believe the gospel. Her lack of of truth and gospel clarity, her her thinking that she's following Jesus is leading people to embrace a heresy that's going to consign them to hell. She's a false teacher, a false convert. Following Jesus always is preceded by repentance and faith. And so true repentance and faith leads people to follow Christ. We must understand that you cannot follow Jesus until you are saved. Now, that we've gotten that out of the way, Let's talk about the longer answer, about what it means to follow Christ. You see, following Jesus isn't just going where he goes and doing what he says do. Following Jesus is a calling. It's a personal call of Jesus Christ. You don't simply follow Christ because you want to. You don't simply follow Christ because you think it's interesting. You follow Christ because he invites you to follow him. You follow Jesus because because he calls you to follow him. Like he does for these four men. He personally invites them and calls them to follow. And so following Christ is a calling, and it's a calling that that has multiple facets to it. In fact, notice that this call to follow Christ is, is come as you are. Okay, in fact, if we look at the text, and I kind of condensed this down, it says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me. And going along a little further, he saw James and John, who were in their boat mending nets, and immediately he called them. I want you to notice he didn't say, Hey guys, why don't you put in your application, and we'll see if you fit our qualifications. He just says, Follow me. 
He doesn't say, hey, you know what you guys need to do is you need to clean yourself up a little bit, you know, get your life right, and then you can follow me. You know what? You guys need to be a little bit more respectable in, in the community. You know, you need, to, you, need to be, you need to look like this. or do, No, he doesn't do any of that. He just says, follow me. It's just an open invitation, follow me. The only qualification to follow Jesus Christ is repentance and faith. That's it. It has nothing to do about with your intelligence. It has nothing to do with your vocation, what your job is. Following Jesus has nothing to do with your economic status. It has nothing to do with your male or female. It has nothing to do with your ethnicity. It has nothing to do with, you know, whether you're born in this country or another country. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Jesus says, follow me. It is a gracious call to come as you are. And the call to follow Jesus is also a call to intimacy with him. I want you to notice the names here on this list. This is kind of important, right? The names Andrew, Simon, James, and John. Now, we know that Simon is Peter, right? Because Jesus named him Peter. In fact, he's referred to as Simon Peter oftentimes in the New Testament. And then you have John, and we know who he is. He's the one who grows up to be the Apostle John. He is the one who, who Jesus said, take care of my mama, right? He's the one, right, that refers to himself in his own book, you know, the one that Jesus loves, right? He's the one who wrote the Gospel of John. He's the one who wrote the, the three letters of John and the book of Revelation. And then you have James. Now, James is famous, because he was one of the earliest martyrs for the church. This isn't James, the brother of Jesus. This is James, the brother of John. Right? And what many people don't realize when you think about these three names here, these three out of the four, is Peter, James, and John became Jesus' closest disciples. These three men became his closest personal friends. They're the people that Jesus took with him when he transfigured himself and showed showed his glory of who he really is. They're the ones who went with um, Jesus when, when he healed the young woman who had died, the young girl who had died. Right? His invitation to follow was an invitation to get really, really close to him and to really get to know him. Right? And, and the thing is, is, though we might not be able to physically be with him, your invitation to follow Christ is an invitation for you to draw close to him. You see, Jesus doesn't call you to his mission so that you can just do stuff for him. Okay? Because I, I hate to burst your bubble. He don't need you. Okay? I mean, I heard, I heard one pastor say, you know, he was on a missions trip somewhere, and he even he thought it, and he didn't even want to say it because he knew it was heretical. He said, I'm sure glad that God has someone like me to be here to reach these people. And he realized that's a horrible thing to say because God doesn't need him. You know, Jesus doesn't need you. He can accomplish his plans and his purposes and he can do all he wants to without you. Right? But he invites you to participate and he invites you to follow him because in so doing, you can actually experience more of him. It's, it's through serving and following him that you get to know him better. You draw closer to him. By following Jesus, you're spending more and more time with him. You experience his love. You experience his grace. You experience his presence and, and his transformational power of the Spirit. Following Jesus is a call to greater and greater intimacy with your Lord. It's also a call to discipleship. right? Because following Jesus is about discipleship. It's about learning from the master. This is an idea from the first century. First century teachers, you know, called 
had their disciples, and, and their disciples went with them everywhere they went, and they did what the disciple did. Right? They followed them and, and mimicked them. That way they can learn everything they can learn from the master. It was, it was hands-on training, and the idea was that you would grow in word and deed to be more like your master, which is really the idea of the Christian faith, Christian discipleship. Because we are called to grow and to be more and more like Christ. We're called to be conformed in the image of Christ. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The goal of discipleship and, and is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is where we grow to be more and more and more like Christ. Right? In fact, Paul even talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, by the way, is the, the scripture which, with which we built our church mission. And it reads, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, which is the leadership in the church, to equip the saints, which is all the believers in the church, for the works of ministry, which means everybody in the church is supposed to be in ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or spiritual maturity to the measure, now this is the standard, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal of spiritual maturity is to be like Christ. That's what discipleship is. And the call to follow Christ is to come as you are, it's a call to intimacy, and it's a call to discipleship, and it's also a call to join his rescue mission. Notice what he says in the text here. Okay. This is really easy to overlook. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers, I'll make you become fishers of men. Jesus tells Andrew and Simon Peter right, to follow me, and the result of that following me is that you will be transformed into fishers of men. Now, this is the part of the text that many of us are really, really familiar with. And sometimes familiar texts actually get us in trouble because we make some assumptions. Because we've heard this expression many, many times, I will make you fishers of men. And, and, and what's worse is the idea of fishermen becoming fishers of men is really kind of a memorable play on words. It's easy to remember. It sticks in our minds, right? But what we need to understand is this word play here is actually not present in the original Greek. The, the words in Greek don't correspond that way that they do in, 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 in the English language. And so there's not that little, little connection that way. Right? There's not a one-to-one -one correlation, which creates a challenge for us because when we read the text, this play on words distracts us from really what's actually being said here. Because what Jesus is saying is really rooted in the Old Testament. You see, Jeremiah 16, 16 says, Behold, I'm sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. You see, the idea of, of fishing for men is in the Old Testament, and it carries with them the idea of God's divine judgment. It's connected with the wrath of God. It's connected with his, his coming wrath, and it's connected with him accomplishing his final plan, so to speak. And, and this, is, can, this is the context that Jesus is speaking this in. And what he's saying is, follow me because the judgment of God is coming, is what he's saying. 
Follow me because, because the kingdom is here and God's judgment will soon follow. Right? Come with me and join me so we can search out and catch other, other people and save them from the judgment of God. That's the sense of urgency. Following me means get busy being like me so that you can get involved in this rescue mission, which, which is we know why Jesus came. Right? Jesus came why? To save sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to call us to join him in that. In fact, that's why after his death, as we have talked about, he gave the Great Commission. He says, go out and make what? Disciples. Christ followers. And how do we do that? By, by sharing the gospel, by baptizing them into the church, and by teaching them to follow Jesus and joining his mission. The call to follow Christ is a call to join him on his rescue mission. And this is super important for us to understand because, because again, people think that following Jesus is just about being nice. That following Jesus is about never being confrontational. They think that it's about feeding the hungry and ministering to the poor. They think that following Jesus is about justice. But, but hear me on this. Jesus, following Jesus, is about the Great Commission. It's about following him and joining him on his mission. Yes, these other things are super important, but they're the byproducts of following Jesus. Following Jesus is about, is about learning to be like him, where we go out into the world declaring that the time is now and the kingdom is here. Repent and believe the gospel. That is what it means to follow Christ. And you have to hear me on this. If you're not doing that, then you're really not following Jesus. Now, you might certainly be saved, because to be saved, you repent and believe the gospel. Right? You can be saved and not obey his command to, to join him on that mission. But, that, but, but understand, you're not following Jesus. No matter how many hungry people you feed, no matter how many broken hearts you comfort, no matter how many marginalized people you stand up for, if you're not proclaiming the truth and calling people to respond to the gospel, then you're not really following Christ. Because to follow Christ, the call to follow him, is a call to join his mission. That's why he says, follow me and you will become fishers of men. Becoming fishers of men is the point of the call. So following Jesus is come as you are, right? It's a call to intimacy. It's a call to discipleship. But at its heart, it's a call to be involved in the mission of Christ. It's also a call that will absolutely call it, cost you something. It's something that, that, that we need to come to terms with is the fact that, that following Jesus will cost you something. Following Jesus always comes at a cost. Following where he leads. If you notice, Andrew and Simon Peter, they were working and doing their jobs as fishermen. And Jesus says, follow me. And then notice it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. These are men that they, they left their jobs, they left their careers, they even left their tools of their trade. 
They left their valuable tools of their, of their trade to follow Jesus. And notice, they didn't say, wait a minute, let us, let us sell this stuff so we can at least recoup the money. He didn't say, they didn't say, well, well let, let us put this stuff away and store it, you know, and let our, you know, our friends hang on to it so just in case this following you thing didn't work out, you know. No, they left it all behind to follow him. Sometimes following Jesus will come at a financial cost. Sometimes it will, will, will come at, at the expense of an opportunity. Sometimes following Christ, right, will cost you resources. Sometimes it even costs you your career. I was a kitchen and bathroom designer and a sales manager for a successful company. Um, and I was, you know, I had a successful career when I first became a Christian. And my ideas of the Christian life were pretty simple. I would just continue to do what I did. And I would, like, go to church, and every once in a while I'd pass out bulletins at the front door, and I would just give my tithes. And I thought my job was just to make money for the church, you know. I won several awards at my job. I, I was known across the country for my accomplishments in the industry, and I was excited about what I was doing. I loved what I was doing. But then call, God called me into the ministry, and I gave up a lot to follow Jesus. My annual income back then exceeds what our entire church budget is now. We had a big, beautiful house in Bakersfield. We had, we had you know, brand new you know, vehicles to drive. but I'm happily paid the cost to follow him. Giving those things up actually was not such a big deal. I'm, I've never been happier or more content in my life. Now, you may not be called to give up a job, and you might not be called to give up a pay- paycheck or a career, but following Christ does come at a cost somewhere. Notice what, he, what it happens to when Jesus calls James and John. It says, immediately he called them, and, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. See, they didn't just leave their job and their nets. They also left their dad. They left him behind. Sometimes following Jesus will cost you something in your relationships. Sometimes following Jesus will cost you in your, in your family or even your marriage. It can certainly cost you with your friendships. Following Jesus will affect relationships. If you really believe in him, if you truly trust in Christ, your life will change. And, 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 some, and some of your relationships will not be able to handle that change. Because your new life in Christ might bring you into conflict with the way they live their lives. Right? Sometimes the way that you live your life will remind them that they're in sin and they need to repent of that sin and they don't like that. Or maybe your new life will bring them into conflict with, with their beliefs. In fact, one of the hardest things for a Mormon family to face when it comes to turning away from the LDS church is the tremendous pressure they feel when they give their life to Christ. Being a Christian for a Mormon literally can mean the loss of their entire family and their entire social structure. A really good friend of mine who witnessed to a, a, a Mormon, an influential Mormon man for years at work, he just wouldn't leave him alone. And finally the guy said, shut up, I don't want to hear any more about this. He says, I know. I know what they're teaching is, is not the truth. I know that Joseph Smith is a false prophet. I know all these things. History has proven that. But what do you want me to do? He says, because walking away is going to cost me my entire family. My kids, my grandkids, all my family are invested in this church. If I leave, they will all disown me. Sometimes that's the price. And I realize this can be a serious price to pay to follow Jesus. 
But Jesus makes it very clear in Luke 14 that following him and being a disciple comes at a cost. He says in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be to my disciple. Man, I think Jesus sometimes likes to sucker punch people. I mean, because like that's, that's hard hitting. I mean, how do, how do you live up to that? Well, first, what we have to understand is he's not literally saying you need to hate your family, okay? It's not like, hey, good news is, Dad, I accepted Jesus and I love him, but I hate you now, right? That's, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's not what he's saying, right? Jesus is using hyperbole. He's trying to make, make a point. It's, he's emphasizing something, right? In fact, Jesus, God in the flesh, calls us to love our families throughout the Bible. We're, we're called to care for them and to love them deeply. But the idea here is that your love for Christ must be gra- vastly greater than your love for anything else. Right? Your love for Christ must be supreme. Whatever you love, right? You, know, you must love Jesus more. Whatever love you feel for your wife, your love for Jesus must be greater. Whatever love you feel for your kids and your, your grandchildren, even those fur babies you have at the house, right? Your love for Christ must be infinitely greater. That's what Jesus is saying. Your love for Christ must be so strong that you are willing to lose anything and everything and everyone in your life to follow him. Even your own life. And then he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And again, what he's saying is you just need to be willing to pay that price. Because that's what bearing your cross is, is paying the price. That a person following him must be willing to pay whatever price it costs to go where he leads. Be it financial, be it relational, or even your very life. Because sometimes following Jesus will cost people their lives. It has been that way since the very beginning. From the very beginning, people have, have been dying for the truth. They've been martyred for the faith. People right now in countries like Egypt and Sudan and Iraq are being killed simply because they will not deny Jesus Christ. They imprison them, they beat them, and they won't, they won't renounce him, and so, so they kill them. They're dying for their faith. Now, we, we talk about in our own country how there's a growing persecution for people of faith. People are being sued by, by, the, by different agencies, even the government, for their faith. Right? People are being fired from their jobs because of, of the stances they take for their, their faith. But understand, there will be a day soon when people will be jailed for what they say and how they stand up for their faith. And there will come a time when people, even in this country, will die for their faith. And when that time comes, the question is, is will we be willing to pay the price to follow Christ regardless of the cost. Because Jesus said, whoever would save his life would lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Now, the idea here isn't for you to leave here and go find some jihadi somewhere and pick a fight with him so you can die for your faith. That is not the point. Okay? The point is, is that you must be ready to pay whatever cost it takes to follow him. And that's what Jesus is saying in Luke. When he says, he says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish. What Jesus is saying is you need to really count the cost and be ready to pay it. You need to be willing to pay whatever the price is required 
whether it's your material resources, whether it's your relationships, or even your own life. Because following Jesus will cost you something. You see, Jesus didn't come to make you comfortable, regardless of what some of those guys on TV tell you. He didn't come to make you comfortable. He didn't come so that all of your plans will succeed. He didn't come so that you would live this pain-free, problem-free, sacrifice-free life. He came to save you from your sins, and he came to glorify his Father through your life. And if you, losing your career, and you losing your relationships, and even losing your life brings glory to God and accomplishes his purpose, then that's the price you have to pay. Now, you might think, Sherman, I can't pay that. I can't give that up. That price is too high. That standard is beyond my reach. And you're right. It is beyond your reach. That's why you need Jesus. Because you have to understand following Jesus is impossible for you to do on your own. You can't do it. You can't pay the price. You can't live this out. Following Jesus is only possible because your heart has been radically changed. That's why following Jesus must be preceded by what? Repentance and faith. In order to follow Jesus, you must be saved. You must be radically transformed. You must be a new creation. Following Jesus is only possible when you've been brought to, from death to life. Going where Jesus leads is only possible for those who are indwelt by and strengthened by God the Holy Spirit in their life. Otherwise... You can't and you won't pay the price, even if you wanted to. The only way that you can follow Christ is for Christ himself to empower you to follow him. And the only ones he empowers are the ones who repent and believe the gospel. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute. This is just too much. Man, give me that good old-fashioned American Christianity. I mean, Jesus is asking a lot of me right now, and I don't know if I like that. Why should I really have to, I mean, I mean, you said I don't have to really follow him, just repent and believe the gospel and still be saved. So why can't I just be saved and just sit in the pew and just, you know, sing songs and then go home and just do me and do my own life? That's easier. I promise I won't get into a fight. I promise I won't be mean to people. I promise I won't, I'll do my best not to sin anymore. Why do I have to join the mission? Why do I have to be all in? Why do, why do I have to follow him? Well, First off, the reason why you follow him is because Jesus is the king. He is the sovereign king of the universe, and he has the authority to call you to follow him. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has the right and the authority to demand obedience out of you. He has the right and authority to ordain for you whatever your life ends up being. He has the right and authority to allow you to suffer. He has the right and authority to, to, to raise you up. He has the right and authority to do with you and your life whatever he wants because he is the king. Second, is you are not your own. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. You no longer belong to you. In fact, you never actually belong to you. You were either, you were either a slave to, to sin or you're a slave to Christ. Right? You never belong to yourself. You just thought you did. But you belong to God because he purchased you. And the price that he purchased you with is mind-blowing. Right? The cost was the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ, to set you free. Understand, right? 
Whatever price that you were being called to pay to follow Christ is the tiniest drop in comparison in the bucket compared to the overwhelming ocean of what Christ paid to set you free. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were by nature children of wrath. You were hell-bound with no hope whatsoever. And though you had been made in the image of, of Almighty God, you were still broken to your core, totally depraved. All you've been able to do your whole life is to sin and rebel against a holy and righteous God. Yes, you have done good things, but that's because God, by His grace, has allowed you to do good things. He has restrained the evil in your heart, the evil that you know is there, the, the evil sometimes you even want to let out. Right? You've been storing up for yourself wrath from God's own hand, and there's nothing that you on your own can do to fix it. You're a broken, helpless wretch, but for some reason, God looked down on you and had compassion on you, and he loved you, and because of that, he sent his son to the earth to fulfill a righteousness that you couldn't fulfill, to live a perfect life. He was morally perfect. He was spotless. And then in the greatest act of love, Jesus traded places with you. Now, if you're a parent, or if you're a grandparent, or you're somebody who just has somebody you deeply love, you understand this trading places thing. Because there has been times in your life you have seen people suffer that you love. You go, oh, if I could just trade places with you, I would right now. What I would give to not see my children suffer. What I would give to, to, to take away their pain and, and have me go through their pain. I would trade places with them in a heartbeat. You know what that's like. And that is exactly, that is exactly what Jesus did. He traded places with you. On that cross of Calvary, he took upon himself your sin, and in return he gave to you his righteousness, the righteousness you need to have a relationship with God. And then he bore in his body, right, the horrific wrath of Almighty God that you deserve. He was beaten to a bloody pulp before he even left town. And then he carried his cross to, to Golgotha. And when he got there, they drove in nine-inch nails into his hands and his feet, and they hoisted him up in the air on the cross where he baked in the afternoon sun, dehydrated, bleeding slowly to death and suffocating as his arms became, came out of their sockets. And before he died, he cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the father, for the first time in all eternity, turns his back on his only son. The Bible says that the father was pleased to crush his son for us. Do you, do you understand that? Do you do you? Do you Hold on to that. He was pleased to crush his son for a lowly, broken, corrupt sinner. Jesus paid an unimaginable price, a price that's beyond your ability to even comprehend. The greatest mystery of faith to me is not the incarnation. It is not the Trinity. The greatest mystery is not the sovereignty of God. The greatest mystery to me is how in the world can God kill his only son for a jerk like me? So will I pay the price to follow him? How can I not? Given what he's paid for me. You see, it's all about the gospel. It always is. Jesus died to set me free. 
And he rose three days later proving that it's not an empty promise. It's an empty tomb, but not an empty promise. It's real. I can count on it. I have been saved. I have been redeemed. Jesus called me to repent and believe the gospel. And then he came and called me to follow him and and to come just as I am and to come into intimacy with him and to be his disciple and enjoy him on this rescue mission regardless of the price. And it's a call that I will obey. And it's a price that I, I will pay because Jesus is my king. And he paid it all to set me free. And he's done the same for you. So in light of that, what do we do with that? Well, the easy application, as we said, is follow Jesus and make disciples, right? That's the easy application. I mean, if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, right, then, then before you get there, what you need to do is repent and believe the gospel. And if you're ready to do that today, then you can certainly do that. In fact, I would love to talk with you afterwards um, to be able to help you do that. But if you are a believer, then what do you do with this? I mean, again, you know what to do, right? Follow Jesus and make disciples, right? Sounds easy enough, but again, it's a really challenging call, right? I mean, this is something that, that calls us way out of our comfort zones, this is something that, that, that we know is going to cost us something, and that kind of makes us kind of weak need a little bit. This is a call to live closer in to the Savior. And so this can be overwhelming and even intimidating. It can even feel like this is really beyond our ability to obey. Right? We, can, we can feel like, man, I just can't do this. I'm just, I'm just not good enough. I can't possibly live this out of my life. Understand, all right, understand, please, this is not Jesus calling you to walk in your own strength. Nothing about the message of Christ is about do and be better and work harder. It's never that. It's never walk in your own strength. Ultimately, the call to follow him is a call to trust in Christ. That's the only way that you're going to follow him is to trust him and to grow in that trust in him. And the thing is, is you don't have to have perfect trust to follow him. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, you know, It doesn't take strong faith to save. It just takes true faith. You don't have to have a lot of faith. You don't have to have a lot of trust. You just have to really trust, truly trust. So what we need to do to be able to do this, we need to grow in our trust in him. We We need to keep repenting and keep believing the gospel, and we need to grow more and more in our trust and dependence on Christ. And 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 so this is not a call for you to try harder, right? It's a call for you to know more about Christ. As Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. You need to continually be renewing your minds and growing in what you know about Christ. And the way you do that is by spending more and more and more time with him in his word. You need to saturate your mind with Christ. You need to learn more about him. And as you do, you will experience him and you will grow more and more in love with him. And you do that by daily being in the word, but you also, and here's the one that we forget, you also by daily, continually preaching the gospel to yourself. Everybody wants to think that the gospel is the entry-level lesson into Christianity, and then we move on to other things. It's always the gospel. We have to always remind ourselves of the gospel. Every day you need to preach yourself the truth. 
You need to remind yourself that you, who you are in, in, in Christ. You need to remind yourself who God is. You need to remind yourself the price that was paid to set you free. You need to remind yourself that you have been set free so that you can repent and believe the gospel and go where Jesus leads. Following Jesus is not about trying harder. It's about trusting him more. It's about knowing more about him and preaching the gospel to yourself over and over and over again, reminding yourself that it is Christ who is the one who sets you free, and it is Christ who gives you the strength to follow him, no matter what the cost. That's ultimately where it is. Jesus calls us to follow him, but ultimately the source of strength to follow him is going to be Christ himself. So my admonition to you is to trust him more, learn more about him, and remind yourself continually about the beauty of the gospel that God saw fit to crush his son for a sinner like you. Let me pray for you. Father, I I praise you for your glorious truth. I praise you, Lord God, for the beauty of the gospel. May it ever be on my lips and ever in my mind and on my heart, Lord. May I never, ever think that my relationship with you is about what I can do for you. Even following you, Lord, is not what I can do because I can't follow you. Only that you strengthen me to do so. Help me, Lord God, to always remember that all the things that I do are just vain things unless they're done with you. Father, I'm just a broken vessel that only you can then pour out of me anything that's good. And so, Father, I pray that you'd convict all of our hearts of this, Lord, that we are called, certainly, to go out and share the hope of Christ with the rest of the world, and that we are called to be on mission for you. We're called to make disciples, Lord, that we are called to share the good news, Lord. Let this good news shape us and change us so much that we can't keep it inside anymore, that we have to tell people about Jesus, that we have to tell them about how good you are. We have to tell them about your grace and your mercy. Father, make us fearless, Lord God, and help us be willing to pay the price, whatever it is, whether it's our reputation, whether, whether it's our standing with our friends, whether it's our jobs, whether it's even our lives, Lord God. Help us to be bold for you, not because of our own you know, self-righteousness, but for the righteousness of Christ that's in us, Lord God. Change us and shape us in the image of your Son. And Father, raise up a people in this church, Lord, who will go out and storm the gates of hell and preach the gospel of every corner of this community and then around the world. Father, be glorified in this little church and in your church family. We love you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.